The elephant in the room. Wow. Uh, I love our uh, creative team and the job they do putting some stuff together. Um, but I'll tell you, um, the purpose of this series um, is, is really to, I think, communicate kind of what's been going on in my heart, but also I think the heart of our team for about six months. And uh, what's interesting is, is that uh, here lately, we've kind of rescheduled our preaching schedule and all those things uh, because we just felt like we have some challenges here that we have to address. Now, let me explain something to you real quickly. As we dive into this series, I want you to know that challenges are not something new here. I was talking to someone this last week, and the very first service we ever had, we had 189 people, and we had 140 seats, okay? And then the second service we ever had, we had 252 people, and we had 140 seats, and so we went to two services, and from the inception of Stone Point, we've had more challenges than we've had wisdom. And we've always sought God to give us the direction and the wisdom that we needed, and He has done that. The challenge that we have to address now are not necessarily related to God, but also related to people following God completely. And so the purpose of this is to honestly give you a look at where we are as a church and we believed in it so much that we postponed a series that we were going to start today called Just Ask. And so after Easter, we're going to have the series called Just Ask. And uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, we uh, are going to invite lots of people. We're going to have a great weekend. The following weekend, we have our baptism celebration on the 23rd, which we're going to see people who've committed their lives to Jesus go public with their faith through baptism. And then after that, we're going to start this new series, which allows you to ask questions related to your faith. If God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? So questions like that. So if you have those, shoot uh, me an email or email us at info at stonepointchurch.com. We'd love to begin answering those questions that series. But we felt before we did that, we had to address some things that are happening in the culture and the context of our church. And I've been wrestling on, okay, how do we do that? And I think it really revolves around a text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, Paul is talking about what it looks like to be uh, present with the Lord. And really, he's saying, man, I would rather be with Christ and uh, looking forward to a new body in Christ and ultimately the heavenly reward that comes. But and then in verse 10, he, he kind of settles in with, the, hey, if that's not where we are yet, let's move forward. And so in verse 11 through 21, he's going to identify some areas that we as people of God should begin moving forward in. And so here's what I want you to hear. If you are here today as a first-time guest, I think this message is applicable to you but the reason it's applicable to you is different than if you're a regular attender or a member here at Stone Point. And so here's what I want you to hear as a first-time guest. If you're a first-time guest, here's what I want you to hear. If nothing else, hear this. We are committed to being a church where you can come and be yourself, where we're not expecting you to have your life together, that it, we truly want to be a place where no perfect people are allowed. Like, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be out of church for a long time because you were broken and hurt. But we want you to come, and we want to treat you as if you are not only our guest, but you're guests in our own home. We want to serve you. We want to walk with you. We want to be a church that loves and cares for you and nurtures you as you walk towards Christ. At the same time, as you have become from moving from a guest to someone who says, this is where I go to church. There's something that for us as a leadership team begins to kick in emotion and it should be for you too. And that is you get to the place where you no longer recognize yourself as just a guest. Think about it. If you're in my home, the very first time I'm going to serve you a glass of tea. The second time I'm going to show you where to get the cups. The third time you're going to make me a glass of tea. Understand? The point, though, is this. Think about it. When they come to your house, you love them, you care for them, you treat them well. But the longer people become familiar with you, the more they should what, be a part of the team, the process. So the first time, I'm going to cook you dinner. The third time, I'm going to cook you dinner. But the fifth or sixth time, you're going to help us cook dinner, right? That's the friendship we begin to have. 
We cook dinner. Our kids play together. It's no longer, I'm preparing to do all the work for you. We partner together. And so I think that's the best way I can illustrate it. If you've been here and you would consider yourself not a first, a second, a third, fifth, a ninth time guest, but you would go, I'm a regular tender member. It's time for us to realize that we're not to be served, but we're to be, ser- we're to be serving. We should be helping each other in this process of making this a place where people want to come. And so if you're a first, second, third, fourth, fifth time, understand the challenge I put forth today is not for you. The challenge I'm putting forth today are for people who would say, this is my home, I'm a regular attender here, or this is the place where I put down roots and I'm a member here. That's where this series is for. Now, that doesn't mean that as a first-time guest, you can't see the grace of God, and it doesn't mean that this message can't speak to you, because it can, because God's Word has the power to do that. But I want you to hear that as we move forward in these next few weeks, I'm going to address the biggest challenges we have right now at present hand at Stone Point Church. And I'm hopefully going to give you some solutions as to what we do about it and how we call our people to a greater level. And so today, I'm not going to put all the, the, the challenges out before you. I'm not going to walk away and, and let you think kind of what we do as a staff, kind of dumbfounded, like, God, I don't know what to do next, okay? That's not the goal. The goal is to help you see how we address these challenges, and it starts with God birthing something in our hearts. Because if God doesn't birth in our hearts, then we don't see the challenges, as tangible solutions, and moreover, we don't care whether there's solutions or not. Because it has to be a God birthing it in our hearts. And, and so here we go, 2 Corinthians verse. Uh, 11 out of chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he goes, look, you can look at my life and you need to know that the reason I've lived my life in such a way is to persuade men. To persuade men to what? To see God's goodness, to see God making himself manifest in his people. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. So Paul is basically saying, I know that there are people who wonder about my motivation. I know there are people that when I write or when I share the story, when I go to the synagogues, when I go to teach, when I bring up the gospel in front of people in Athens, and I talk about all their gods. He goes, I know there are people who think I'm crazy. I know there are people who oftentimes question my motives and my sincerity. But he goes, I hope that you see my sincerity, and I hope that God speaks to you in your conscience, meaning I hope you see that I'm not merely saying something just to get your attention. I'm saying this because I hope God's brought it to your attention already. So in a sense, for me, that's my prayer as well. I hope that you realize that as a leader of our church, if you've been here, whether it's three years or six years, or whether you've been here six months, that you've been here enough to know our heart and our motivation. So for instance, our motivation in sharing these challenges is not out of an egotistical standard in my life. It's not so that you can scratch my back or do something for me. It's not so that you can somehow... Uh, put me on a pedestal to a, a greater growth. That, hey, somehow we'll grow our church and he's got bigger fish to fry and he's gonna use us as a stepping stone. Like That's not my heart, that's not my motivation. That's not the reason I address these challenges. I hope that you hear as I persuade you to get a, a part of what God's doing here that you would see that he speaks to your conscience, meaning that you would know us well enough to know that everything we do here is out of love for you and our church. Because if you don't hear all of this out of love for you and our church, then what you hear is a bunch of expectations. And you go, man, he's judgmental, or man, he wants too much of us. And so we know that as we approach you with these challenges, that God has to speak to your conscience. We know that he has to speak to the depths of the core of your being. And you have to see it as a God thing and not a Brandon thing. You have to see it not as a stone point thing, but as a biblical thing. Do you understand? Because if you leave here and you go, oh, he's trying to make much of Stone Point, then you've missed the point because I'm not trying to make much of Stone Point. I'm trying to make much of God who created and birthed the whole concept of Stone Point. And so our goal is to make much of God. And then it says, for if we are beside ourselves, verse 13, it is for God. If we are sound of sound mind, it is for you. In the New, uh, New International Version, it goes, if we are out of our mind, it's for God. 
And if we're of sound mind, it's for you. So in a sense, have you ever felt like you're out of mind? Like, oh man, I'm out of my mind. I'm not talking about like as a single mom or as a, as a mother scurrying around because you've got three or five or seven children. And you're like, oh, I'm out of my mind. I'm talking like biblically. Like there are days where I call our church to big things in the past that I sit after a Sunday afternoon and I go, Lord, am I the crazy one? Lord, am I, like, am I crazy to ask people of such big expectations? God, am I, am I crazy to keep bringing these things back up and keep pushing and, and really calling people to something bigger? Like, God, I feel crazy. And Paul goes, it's okay to be out of your mind. Because if you're out of your mind, make sure you're out of your mind for the Lord. And if you see me as sound mind, know that it's for you. That's what he's saying. And then in verse 14, he begins to speak to, to call people to something greater. And I think if you're in here and you would call yourself a Christ follower, if you would call yourself a, someone that's a part of the way, that you would say that if you die today, you would spend eternity with God, that you would call yourself a Christian, then these next seven, eight, nine verses are for you and you should hone in and you should center in and you should see the biblical mandate that God's calling us to be a part of. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they might live no longer, what? Those that live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's what he's calling the church to. He is saying Christ died for us and his love should compel us, control us. Why? Because he died for all and thus all have died. Meaning that if you have received the gift of salvation, you have died yourself. Jesus says, in order to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. You've heard that, right? I can't tell you. I bet I've said that a thousand or 1,500 times in the last three years alone. And so we know that God is compelling us to follow him. And the question is why? So that we would no longer live for ourselves. Do you understand? But here's, I think, what's developed here. I think what we have begun to see here is a, a group of people who are not interested in building God's kingdom but our own. And you'll hear it in our words expressed. You'll hear it in the comments we make. You'll see it in our relationships and the way we deal and handle each other. You'll notice by the end of this message whether or not you're seeking to build your own kingdom or God's kingdom. You'll recognize whether or not you're apathetic or if you're on fire for the Lord and living in the spirit. But in order for us to see what God's wanting us to do, you need to see what he's desiring first and foremost. And that is, is that we would emulate Christ. Look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer meaning we desire to live in the spirit. We know him as he abides in us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now, as we talk about this text in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it is the chief text at the very end of our regeneration ministry on Monday nights. If, if you want to talk about being reconciled to God, there are four New Testament texts, and this is the chief text that you would use. This is the text that would show you how to be reconciled to God and what God has done for you. And so what's interesting is, is that what I'm sharing with you today is something that should be birthed in all of our hearts if Christ has died for you. It should be the ministry of reconciliation. It should be the ability to walk through a 12-step program and at the very end walk out of the doors and say, I believe that I look more like Jesus than any ever, other point in my entire life. Now, not because regeneration makes you like Jesus, but because it promotes the steps that do. So for instance, regeneration is admitting that you are a sinner. Then it's believing that there's a God who can fully restore you. That as you seek to trust in him in a personal relationship, God begins to birth in you an inventory. You look at your sin, you look at the hurt and the pain that you've caused, and you begin to inventory your life. You allow the spirit to search and know you. 
And then as you allow God to search and know you, you begin to confess your sin. You begin to repent of your sin. As you confess and repent, you realize, man, over the last several years, I've hurt lots of people. I've said lots of mean things. I've done lots of things that don't represent the gospel. I, I don't look like Jesus in my old past, and now I've got to reconcile that. And so you begin to go and seek forgiveness. You begin to make amends with people. And all of those are the steps. Why? Because the goal is, as Christians, we would reconcile people to Jesus. In regeneration ministry on Monday nights, regardless of our sin patterns, we recognize there's a point where we don't look like Jesus, and we invite him into our story to change our lives. And here's what I want you to hear. If Jesus lives in you, then you should emulate him. You should look like him. You should, you should see that he has changed you. You should love others, 1 John 4, because he has first loved you. You should begin to have compassion. You should love others, uh, John chapter 13. Why? Because Christ says you'll know that you're my disciple in the way that you love others, the way that you treat other people. And so there's really three ways that you know whether or not you're beginning to emulate Christ. One of them is through your character, through your character. Your character will change. The way that you do things in your business will change. The way that you relate to your wife will change. The, the way you relate to your children will change. Why? Because God is producing in you something that's fresh and new. And so if you would look at your life and you go, man, I believe I'm going to heaven, but nothing's really changed. Listen to me. The reality is you're not going to heaven. Because Jesus makes it very clear that if you love me, you'll love other people. If you love me, you'll be to my disciples. If you love me, you'll bear fruit in your life. He's not, act, he's, not, he's not interested in religious activity. I think Dr. Mason says it this way, and, and Rusty uh, said it at Regeneration a couple of weeks ago this way. He goes, he's not interested in behavior modification, but soul transformation. And we think that the best thing we can do is come in and somehow put our moral clothes on when we enter the door. So like some of us, we have our good moral clothes, you know? And so like we, we come into church and we go, man, I want to look like I'm moral today and I want to act like I'm moral. And then as we walk out the door, we just kind of, we, we kind of change clothes in a sense. And then we put on our immoral clothes and our immoral clothes give us the freedom to do whatever we want as long as when we come in the doors, we look moral. And so when you, I talk about character, I'm not talking about morality, I'm not talking about your ability to look the part or even clean yourself up. I'm talking about deep soul transformation, abiding in God who has deeply changed your heart, who has made you aware of your sin, and who is changing you to look like the image of Christ. That is the idea of character. Do you understand? Comprende? Yes? See? I have people all the time, whether they be in my journey group, or whether or not they just be a friend, maybe I went to high school with since I lived in this area. They, they go, Brandon, man, I, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, dude, come on, let's talk. Now look, Brandon, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out there, buddy, but here's what I need, man. I need you to put your friend hat on and not your pastor hat. I'm like, well, what, what do you mean, buddy? Like, I mean, well, it means like, I just want, I wanna know your friend answer, not your pastor answer. I don't have a different friend answer. Because as a pastor, I am your friend. I love you. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. That's character. Character is not I'm one way here and one way there. And if your perception of me is, man, he must be different as a friend than he is as a pastor, I hope you know that that's not my desire. My desire is not to have compartmentalized areas of my life in which I'm different here. Man, I'm different at home than I am at church. Man, I treat my staff different than I do my wife. No, the gospel either runs deep in you and through you, or the gospel's not running in you at all. Do you understand? As we emulate, it changes our character. Then it changes our care for other people. Now, when I talk about care for other people, I'm not talking about your neighborhood that you're the lady that's known for making the best banana bread and you take it to all your neighbors because you love them. Now, that's important. And I, I want you to understand that you mowing your neighbor's yard is a really awesome thing. Or you taking food to the homeless is a really cool, cool thing. Or you taking a widower or a widow under your wing and saying, I'm going to care for you is an incredible thing. But when I'm talking about your care for others, I'm talking about seeing the world through a different lens. Why? Because verse 15 says that what? We should no longer live for ourselves. Meaning the church should not exist for me and you, but the church should exist for who? Other people. 
Now, let me ask you a question. How many times in recent history have you walked out and thought, man, I wish the church existed for me? Meaning, man, I wish they would have sung this song today. Or, man, I wish you would address that. Or, man, I, I wish you would really come down on them. Like, how many times do we look at the lens of the gospel through our own eyes as opposed to the world? How many times have we forgotten to care for other people? And I think Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says it the best way as they're talking about someone being eligible to open the title deed of the earth, meaning someone who can come back and rescue people from their sin, and that guy is Jesus. In Revelation chapter 5, they're looking for someone who would have permission to open the, the seals. And look in verse 9 and 10, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Here's what you and I need to know and see. When Jesus was pierced, he bled not just for you, but for the nations. But interesting enough, as we become Christians, we often disguise it through religious activity as opposed to soul transformation. And if it's not soul transformation, we'll say foolish things like this. Why do we plant a church in Edgewood? It seems so ridiculous. Why would we spend $75,000 to go nine miles down the road? Can't they just come to us? See, that's the problem with the church. That's the problem with church people. They always talk about the lost people come to us. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would that be something that they would want to do? We have to go to them. That's what the gospel says. We go out into the world, not the world comes to the church. We go. That's the picture. And so that's why is because we see the creation and the dignity of mankind, not because they're not sinners, but because they were created in a relationship with God from the beginning that was broken. Now we we reflect the image of God, even in our lives, even in our skin, our bones, even in our image, we reflect the image of God. Now you go, well, no, 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 not my neighbor. No, he doesn't. I understand, but he can. If God would redeem and purchase him, he can. And so the question is, how are you caring for the world? Do you understand? And I'm not talking about through your banana pudding. I'm talking about, do people know you for your banana pudding, your banana bread, or do they know you that you love Jesus? Because through your care for others, they ought to see that you love Jesus. And then thirdly, they ought to see the, the doctrine that you live. Like, listen, the doctrine that you live is important. Why? Because Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus says, I am the standard. And so what we have is truth to offer. What you're hearing today is a bunch of truth. And it's in love, like saying, hey, this is what God's calling us to as Christians. And, and we can struggle with it. We can wrestle with it. But at the end of the day, if it's God's standard, then that's what we have to wrestle with as God, not your pastor, right? Not your leaders, not Stone Point's mission and vision. That's not what you're wrestling with. What you're wrestling with is the standard that God has. And so we guard biblical doctrine. Why? Because we have to be centered on a fixed point of truth. God has always been pointing to truth. The constellations in the sky have never changed. They were the same back when Socrates was looking at them. They're the same now. They don't change. It's a fixed point. Listen to me. No matter what the culture says, there's a fixed point of truth called God's word. He has given it to us by a plan, a standard which we live by. And so we live by that standard as a means to see biblical doctrine. And you look at 2 Corinthians uh, verse uh, 18 of chapter 4, which is a chapter earlier. Look at what happens when you live in truth. Because we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, we are able to live for Christ and look above. We don't see things merely as temporal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, the very first verse of this chapter. Because our earthly tent will be destroyed, we will have a new body, eternal in the heavens. Like, we realize we don't live for the here and now. Like, there's something more to come. Amen? Praise God. Like, Lord Jesus, come. I can't think of a time in recent history that I have been more broken for our church than what I was on Monday. In our prayer time, I just broke and I wept and I sobbed. And my prayer is, Lord Jesus, come. God, I feel crazy. 
I feel crazy for calling people to these things. And God, I'm tired. I feel like I call people to the same thing over and over and over again. And God, I don't know. I know, that's, I know that that's what sheep do. You know, they don't always understand the shepherd. I get it. God, I don't even understand the good shepherd. A lot of times I fail to be the shepherd you want me to be. But God, I feel crazy. Would you just come? Lord, would you just come? And I just began to sob. Like, Lord, would you just come? Jesus, please come. And I know that, well, if Jesus comes and I won't get the, you know, the years of parenting, I won't get to see my grandkids. Listen, I can think if Jesus comes, all the hurt and the pain that I would save my children. Oftentimes, I wonder if I love them well by even burying them into such a world of devastation and hurt. Lord Jesus, come. God, if you're not coming, will you let me live in character? God, would you let me care for other people? God, would you let me to emulate you through my biblical doctrine? God, would you help me to set my eyes on things to come? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, because we walk by faith, not by sight. We can be bold and confident. I, I can preach this message and not fear men. I don't have to worry about a Monday email because God's my boss and I live for him and I can be bold and I can call us to new heights and new adventures. Why? Because that's what the church does. And so we walk by faith and not by sight. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 12, because we do not glory in appearance, we glory in heart. We know that regardless of what people say about us, our motives, our motivation, that God knows our heart. And my prayer is, as I'm so bold as I am today, that you would know my heart and God would speak to your conscience. That, that you would know that I do everything I talk about in this series out of love, because I love you and I love our church. But I know that we have to guard biblical doctrine. And we have to do that in our emulation of Christ. Listen, we don't just emulate Christ. Look what the scripture continues to say in verse 18. Now, all these things are from God, which are a work of deity. So God is the one orchestrating all these things. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So God and Christ are not separate. They are one, partnering together in what? Reconciling people to himself. Meaning, he knows that at creation everything was distorted. But he goes, I have purposed it that we can make things that were wrong right. And I can do that through my son as he reconciles the world to himself through the cross, through his death, the burial, the resurrection, the, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection. All things can be made right. Not counting their trespasses against them, he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Understand? In the NIV, verse 19, we say it this way, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So Christ is what reconciles us. And so if God is what's doing the work, it allows us to not just emulate Christ, but to cultivate new ground. And you go, what do you mean by cultivate new ground? I think Paul says it the best way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He goes, what then is Apollos? Apollos is one of his compadres, okay? What is Paul? He goes, what am I? He goes, we're both servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul goes, I planted and Apollos watered. Now look at me. I want you to read this with me. But God was what? It's good to know that in this challenge, y'all are all with me. He goes, I, what? Planted, Apollos watered, but what? God caused the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Listen, we emulate God in our character, and we don't do it because we can bring people to God on our own. We do it simply out of obedience. We live in character for God because that's what he's done in our lives. We care for others because that's what God has done in caring for us through his son. We guard biblical doctrine because we don't want people to be deceived that there is some other way to eternal life than through Jesus. But as we, as we plant the seeds, as we sow and we toil the ground, as we cultivate new ground, we realize, God, we are hopeless to see life change if you don't show up. I can remember the first about 10 times that I shared my faith when I'd come to Will's Point. I was sharing my faith, having lots of conversations with people, and I remember all the blank stares. All the people were like, that's good, that's good. And I would go, you want to follow Christ? Like, you want to, do you want to live for him? Do you want to join me in this partnership of the gospel? And they're like, well, I just need more time to think. And it was just like a strikeout, 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 strikeout. And God just reminded me, he's like, Brandon, you need to realize this, that, man, there's going to be lots of people come to faith in Christ. There's going to be lots of people that you share your story with. They're going to trust in Jesus. But you need to know that your sharing is just out of obedience 
and that your sharing is not somehow out of manipulation and you're not going to cause any growth. And so you just be obedient to share. You quit worrying about statistics and I promise you things will happen. And to this day, we've had lots and lots of people come to faith in Jesus. But listen, it's because we cultivate new ground. New Testament scholar, uh, uh, Douglas Moo, he says it this way, for the problem with people is not just that they commit sins. Their problem is that they are enslaved to sin. What is needed, therefore, is new people to break in and set people free, a power found in and only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the church needs more than anything is for people to cultivate new ground. New relationships need to be formed. Why? Because we need to see divine reconciliation. Now listen, human reconciliation is not a picture of divine reconciliation in any way. Let me explain human reconciliation the way that you and I best understand it. I've got me and then I've got my buddy John. Well, John over here is mad at me because of something that I said. I'm mad at him because of his response to something that I said. And after about a week, we've talked about it, we prayed about it, we decided to be reconciled. And so I go to John, I go, John, I'm sorry that I said what I said and I didn't mean for it to be hurtful and I apologize, I own my part of it. And John comes back and goes, you know what, Pastor Brandon, I realized what you said was in love, but man, I didn't take it very well. I kind of received it in a, in a personal way that, and he goes, I was mad at you. And I go, well, listen, that was not my heart. And I share with that. And he goes, well, I'm good. I'll forgive you. Would you forgive me? Yes, we'll forgive each other. We shake hands, we hug necks, and we what? We're reconciled. Two differences made right. It takes two people. But listen to me. Reconciliation with God is not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. For instance, you don't come to God and, and you go, God, I'm really sorry for my sin. And God, I'm really sorry that I didn't meet your standard. And he didn't look back at you and go, you know what? It's okay. I was too hard on you. See, what you need to know is that reconciliation from God is a one-way street. And it happens only when God draws you. It's a one-way street in which he extends his hand to you. He is calling you by the spirit of grace to himself. And the only way that you can even come to Jesus is this, is through his death. If Jesus was not allow you to cultivate new ground through his death, through his propitiation, you have no chance. You're like, I have no idea what propitiation is. Propitiation is verse 21, that he who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteous of God. It's a, it's a transfer that doesn't make sense. See, John and I, we transfer what makes sense. I made him mad, he upset me. And so we transfer forgiveness back to each other based off of what we have done. See, God transferred his righteousness not based off of anything you've done because you and I have no, no right to be reconciled to a holy God. But yet he does it anyway through his loving kindness. And so listen, the reason you cultivate is because of what God has done in your heart. It's you coming to the point where you recognize what God has truly done for you, that he transferred his righteousness to you and it allows you to birth that in other people, to plant and to water and to till and to, and to plow, trusting that God will what? Make the growth happen. Understand? It's the simple concept that's about to take place in the next few weeks. Farmers are going to begin tilling and they're going to begin planting and they're going to lay their head down at night knowing that they've done all they could do to toil and labor and to plant and to water. Most of them can't even control water at this point, but they're certainly not understanding the process of photosynthesis as they lay their head down. It doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter what schemes or mechanism, no matter how much fertilizer they put on it, they do not make plants grow, God does. And God doesn't make anything, uh, and we don't make anything happen. God makes all things happen. People ask me all the time, Brandon, man, what are y'all doing out there in Will's Point? And I'm like, dude, I honestly don't have a clue. It's just God. And, and that truly is my standard response. I don't know if there's ever been a point in this time in the last six years that I felt adequate to lead this church. But I've also come to realize that that's exactly where God wants me. Listen, we have to cultivate new ground. And you go, well, what do you mean by that? So here's what I did. I, I hope that you got a card when you came in. If you didn't, then, then we would like to provide you one. You can get one out in the lobby. But this card right here is simply to remind you to cultivate new ground. But it's also to remind us as a leadership that there should be new ground cultivated. Because oftentimes I go, man, our church has grown so much and most people didn't think it would ever happen. I mean, we live in a community of 3,500 people here in Wills Point, right? On an average weekend, we have eight to 900 people here. We have 12, 1,300 people here in a month. We have 2,600 people here in a year. 
And I go, man, we probably reached them all, right? But listen, if this card is filled out by you, you'll realize that we have a lot of work still to do. There's a lot of ground to cultivate. And so the purpose of the card is simply this, is that you would be able to think in your circle, who needs to see my character in a different light? Who needs to see the relationship that I have with Jesus? And who, who do I need to begin to, to cultivate a new relationship with? And so it could be someone at work. It could be someone in your family. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be somebody that you play basketball with. It could be someone as parents that you're, you're uh, coaching with, your kid's ball, get, ball team on, whatever. But write down three names. And you go, well, I don't have three names. Well, listen, it's time to broaden your circle. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's some of us in here because of our, listen, because of our behavior modification, we've convinced ourselves that we should not hang around people who don't know Jesus. And listen, the last time I checked, Jesus hung around a lot of people that didn't know him. And so I think one of the things that we need to do is begin to realize that there are people in our neighborhoods, there are people in our families that need to know Jesus. And if they're going to come to know him, it's going to be because of your ground cultivated, not mine. And so we got to cultivate new ground, right? Amen? And then verse 20, look at verse 20. Are y'all with me, church? Because I'm running out of time, so I'm going to speed it up. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Because of what God has done, he's made us ambassadors. Now, that's a crazy word, isn't it? Look at me. If you're a Christian, you're his ambassador. You speak on behalf of the king. Now, that's a crazy concept. You speak on behalf of them as though we were making appeal through us, as God's making appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God. Do you see that? And so listen, if you know God, you're not going to just emulate him. You're not going to just cultivate new ground, but you're also going to do one other thing. That's going to be duplicate. And the reason I chose this is because I oftentimes do graphics for lots of different things, our church and just my brothers and all this stuff. But in Photoshop, there's a, there's a little button over here on the right side of the screen that says duplicate. And duplicate is a mere copy of what it is I'm creating. And so if I want to duplicate something, I just go over here and I duplicate it. It'll give me a spitting image of the same thing. As Christians, we ought to be reproducing ourselves as spitting images. You ought to be finding someone that you can replicate. You ought to find someone that you can duplicate. You ought to always be teaching someone something. In Matthew chapter 28, that's what Jesus says, the Great Commission. Go therefore, we hear this part, make disciples of all nations, right? And we hear the part of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of where we leave it. Now, we know the other parts, discipling them, but we think discipleship is baptizing them. And that's not discipleship at all. Baptism is just the beginning of a process called sanctification. That's new growth in Christ, growing up to maturity. And so how do we do that? We teach them to observe all that God has commanded us. It's said this way in 2 Timothy, as Paul writes to his buddy in chapter 2, verses 1, two, through 1 and 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the things which you have heard from the presence of many witnesses, and trust them to faithful men, who will what? Then in turn be able to teach them to uh, what? Others. So the reason that you're here and the reason we learn so we can take it and what? Send it out. Share it. Duplicate it. You understand? Husbands, your faith ought to be so prevalent in your, in your home that you're duplicating your love for Jesus through your love for your wife. Wives, your love for God and respect for his work through his church ought to be so prevalent in your life that it causes what? You to duplicate it in your respect towards your husband. Parents, we ought to love our children so much because God has first loved us and made us children of the righteous king that we ought to what? Be duplicating children who love the Lord because of the Lord's love for us. Parents, you and I need to do this. If you're a child in here, regardless of what age you are, you and I exemplify God's character best by our obedience to our parents. Do you see this? As families... We duplicate the world best to what, what go, is going on in our hearts by what God is doing in our families. If our family is a chaos, then the world sees Jesus and the display of the gospel is chaos. Our duplication doesn't mean just go get one person and make them like you. It's always realizing that every relationship, every sector, every sphere of your life is meant to duplicate the picture of the gospel to other people. 
And so if your lives are a demonstration of the gospel, you will duplicate people. Let me say this. If I were to ask someone who helped duplicate them or make them the man and the woman that they were, if they wouldn't say you, then you are not living out the gospel. Is that the best way to put it? If you are not a part of somebody's transformation and their discipleship problem or process, then that's a problem. So that's how we emulate Christ. Understand? Now, let me take you back to where I settled in this week on this message, verses 11 through 13. And let me just wrap it up this way. Um, since then, we know what is, it is to fear the Lord, so we try to persuade others. That's the NIV. And so here it is. We know how to persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences, right? We are not again committing ourselves to you, but are giving you on occasion to be proud of us so that you would answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. So listen, the reason that I'm up here is so that you would understand who God is and that you would realize that this here is a message that God is giving to our church in spite of me. And so I'm not asking you to take pride in me, but I'm I am asking you to know my heart because as I stand and I teach this message, I want you to know verse 13 is true for me. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. I feel crazy. Do you understand? I will sit in my chair today and I will ask God, God, am I crazy? I've done it time and time again. God, am I crazy? God, am I on an island? Am I crazy? Am I foolish? And there are some of you that go, no, 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 no. You are of right mind. And for you, I go, thank you. But as I take the next step in this message, which is going to be laid out in the next seven minutes, you need to know that I do it at the risk of being called crazy. And I do it at the risk of sounding judgmental. But I do it in sincerity of heart from a sincere conscience of saying that our church has some challenges that we have to address, and it starts with the people of God and not God. It starts with God and Him changing our hearts and our characters as we emulate, as we cultivate, and as we duplicate. But God has to spur it on, not me, because there's nothing I can say, there's not a way I can approach it in which somehow comes across like a great car salesman. Like there's, there's nowhere I can lead you that if God doesn't lead you, we're going. And so let me just remind you of a couple of things. One is remind you of our mission and our vision and our core values. Now, as I take this journey, I want you to understand I'm doing it with sincerity of character. Now, listen, here's what all of us in this room have come to believe. We believe that good leaders have good character. Okay? So as long as people treat us nice, we think they're good leaders. But listen, that's not the mark of a good leader. A good leader is someone who treats you like Christ, but also says, I'm going to take you to a new place. See, don't we want leaders to take us somewhere? Amen? Amen. And so I say this because I love you, but also refuse to leave us where we are. And so our mission and our vision, our core values, let me remind you, we have come for this purpose, to reach unchurched and de-churched people. That's why we started now, if you've come from another church, we're grateful for your season here, but we're not changing anything for church people. We have come to reach lost people, people who need Jesus. And over the course of the last six years, man, we've had lots of people that try to skew us, get us off course. But listen, the reason we're here, and if you're a first-time guest, the reason we're here is to reach people who need Jesus whose hearts are far from them, whose families are broken and their lives are tattered and torn and they're not perfect. That's why we're here. And then we exist to take those people and connect them in a relationship with God to other people in service and to the world. We believe that biblically, not because it's a stone point way, because it's the biblically way, it's the biblical way that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, that you should spend devoted time with him every day and you should grow in him that you should become more conformed to his image, that you need community. You should desire to be walking with other people in community. You should desire to use your gifts, your talents, your abilities for the cause of his church. And you should desire to go outside of the walls and reach your friends and your neighbors. And you should desire to show other people the gospel outside of these four walls. Now you go, yeah, that's right. Yes. Amen. That's what the church exists for. That's not the stone point way. That's the biblical way. Now, 
the reason that I say that is because you and I need to know that's why we began. You also need to know this. There are many of you here that you are members, and you said, I would commit to those four things. I would commit to knowing God, following believers' baptism, and walking out a daily relationship with Him. You committed that you would get in a group and that you would go on journey with other people. You committed that you would serve at least one place within our body, and you committed that you would go outside the world. Now listen, I need you to know that there are some members that you're not doing what you said you would do, and I'm calling you to commit to those things. I'm also going to call the regular attender who does not join because you think we call you to too much. I'm calling you to live to those things. And here's why. Because I can't no longer encourage regular believers to be irregular believers. Regular attenders are irregular believers. If you're not calling yourself to a higher mission, then listen, we need to. We need to commit to the things of the gospel. And so I'm calling our members to step it up, and I'm calling regular attenders to come and be a part of God's work around the world. Why? Because there's too much at stake for us not to. Amen? And so i got to remind you of the mission. Also got to raise your awareness to some apathy in our church. There's some apathy. There are some things that we have decided we're not going to do. And, and how do you know if there's apathy? I think the best way to describe it is this, is that in your relationship with God, if you begin to be content with only the, the kingdom in your world rather than building the kingdom in the world, then that's probably a good sign of apathy. Because here's the reality. Many of us become apathetic when we get that point. It's not you're becoming apathetic. When you begin to make the church more about you than it is about reaching people in the world, then guess what? You're at apathy stage. When you begin to talk about the music or how loud it is, or then what you've done is, in a sense, you have brought up a, a, a challenge that we do have to address, but the greater challenge is not the music's loud. The greater challenge is who's the music for? Because the music was never for you. I have given up many preferences in this church because there's not the, my preference for the sake of people who don't know Jesus. That's the point. And so you may go, well, I don't know if I'm apathetic or not. Let me share. Here's if you know you're apathetic. One, you're not growing in Christ daily. It means you're not, dis, you're not committed to this word, disciplines, prayer, fasting, spiritual disciplines like meditating on God's word. That's a start of it. Then you don't see the importance of God's church. So attendance is the goal as opposed to community and diving in. We don't, we don't desire small groups. We don't even see the importance of them. We don't serve, nor do we see the importance of serving. We don't see the world through God's lies, meaning we're oftentimes asking questions like, why do we need a new campus? Or why do we spend so much on missions while we have so many problems here? That's the idea of apathy. We grumble, we complain more, we bring about more division, we give less financially, and we seek to do as little as possible. What the goal is, is come, let me teach, you teach me something and I'll leave and I'll, I'll walk away and I'll feel good. That's the signs of apathy. Wow. What's the sign of living in the Spirit? It means that we grow in Christ more and more. Like we're always looking to take one more step. Understand, not that we have it all together, but we're always looking for the next step in our faith. We see the importance of the church. We see how we fit in God's plan. We know our need to live in community. We know that we're, we should desire to serve, not because it's enjoyable, because listen, serving's not enjoyable all the time. Do you understand that? I can tell you, like my wife's been serving in her kids' ministry for six years. She's not always super excited about it. About four times, she has literally said, I, I think I've got to quit. I can't do it. And I go, why? And every time it comes back down to, it's hard. I'm tired. But we press on despite being hard and tired. Why? Because we see the church as something giving ourselves to tirelessly. We seek resolution face-to-face -face as opposed to division and dissension. We desire unity. We give financially. We, we can't do enough. And there are people who go, Brandon, I need to do more. I can't do enough. That's when you know you're no longer living in apathy. I understand? And so I needed to remind you of our mission. I need to raise awareness to our apathy. And then the last one is I need to reveal our challenges. And listen, I'm not going to reveal all of our challenges today. Matter of fact, I'm not going to reveal one. But the purpose of this series was to, to do one thing or two things today is to raise awareness to our apathy and remind you of our mission vision. We haven't changed, but some of our commitments have. But lastly, man, you can hear a pin drop, can't you? <laughs> lastly, is that we would reveal our challenges. And I'll, I'll tell you, we will, not we will not accomplish our challenges without God, and we certainly will not unless God breathes something deep down inside our soul. 
And he serves, he, he just, he calls us to something bigger than ourselves. And my prayer is that that would be what we're known for. That we would be known as a church calling people to radical things despite ourselves. I saw a thing from Pete Rose um, yesterday. It's ironic. I was looking for like some sort of illustration to kind of lighten it, right? But Pete Rose, he was talking about his batting stance and all these different things. At the very end of it, he was talking about one of his managers, a manager who he, he, he managed way deep down into the end of his days in the major leagues. And he finally went home and he told his wife, okay, my days of managing are done. And Pete Rose was asking about his conversation with his wife, like, why? Like, what made that done? And he told Pete Rose, he goes, Pete, this is what I always told myself. He goes, I always told myself that if you wanted to play, then you needed to show up for infield practice first. And he goes, now we live in a culture in the major leagues that most of those guys don't want to show up and do the basics first. They want to work on their batting. They want to do all these other things. And I just told myself that we're always going to take infield, and then if you have some energy left, you can go bat. And he goes, then I looked up one day, and he said, I'm, I'm hitting fungo, which is using your bat. He goes, I'm giving infield practice, and I look up, and on third base, I've got one of our pitchers. And then at shortstop, I look up, and I go, we've got one of our guys that's coming off the bench, and, and he's, he's our utility player. And I look at second base, and we've got another one of our pitchers. And then I, I look around, and I realize that all those guys that are, should be playing third and shortstop and second base, they're all in the clubhouse watching TV thinking that they're stars. He goes, that was the day that I decided I was no longer to be a manager. And you can take it to the bank. The one thing I've said, I said at our five-year anniversary, and I've said it since one, day one of our culture here. The day that I feel like our church is ready to just to kind of coast it on in is the day that I believe God calls me to another place. And so what I'm saying is, is I've built roots here, committed my life to this community and this county. I believe that we're to plant literally dozens of churches and we're, we are to reach this county for Jesus. Like that's my mission. But I also know I can't do it alone. And I also know it'll never be accomplished with an apathetic church. And so I'm calling you to join me in this great work because there's too much at stake. Amen? And so if you want to be comfortable, you're probably in the wrong place. But if you want to go on mission and you want to do something incredible for the Christ, listen, I think you're in the right place. And I, I, we've got some challenges that can be addressed. There are tangible solutions, but I'll tell you this, there is a lot to be accomplished. We need to plant five more churches within the next 10 years, and they need to be campuses in our county. That doesn't even mention, listen, the 10 churches that we need to plant in the next two years that have nothing to do with us, that are just extensions. Do you understand? In the next... Ten years, we need to be a part of planting a hundred churches. Five that are extensions of our campus and another 95 that are extensions of God's kingdom. And there's a lot of things preventing us from doing that. And so I pray that you would join me in that. I pray that you would give this card, tear it off. If you have to do the old licking mechanism, <laughs> rip it in half and, and, and help us pray with you for three people. If you don't know three people, expand your circles. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the hour that I took and taught. And uh, Lord, I pray, God, that you would use it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.